1: A warm and friendly hello. Welcome to Love Las Vegas. For the Baseball Betting Podcast, myself, Craig Peterson. We've got a terrific podcast for you guys. In the second segment, we're going to be joined by our good buddy with Fangraphs, Dan Zaborski We're going to be talking to him about some teams that might see some progression slash regression. The team that has really been a big disappointment to him out there in the MLB landscape. What he's made out of some of these... Games being a little bit lower scoring, so much more. So we're gonna have a wide ranging chat with Dan in the second segment. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. And then in the final segment, gonna give you guys a side total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday. As we touch them all. First things first. I love answering your Twitter questions on this podcast. And got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore eighty one. Keep in mind a little letters CM they mean does not matter. Other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then for there. You're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Did wind up getting in a few questions with regards the games are affected by rain, so let's dive into those.
0: So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag.
1: I know that many of you guys are asking what happens with this Washington Nationals versus Cincinnati Reds game from yesterday that wound up getting suspended in the fourth inning with the Nationals up 3-0 to zero, with the game not going a full five innings. Pretty much every single book in Las Vegas, if you wind up having a bet on this game. You wound up getting a refund. Maybe the lone exception will be yes, no, first inning run, but in Las Vegas, it is a refund. Now, I know that there's many East Coast books, FanDuel especially, that typically they carry these games over. I don't know if they're still going to be doing this for the upcoming season because this is really the first suspended game that we've seen in the MLB this season, so it is a little bit of a tricky situation there. I know that there wound up being like one random Mets game that was as well, but that's so far down the line so many months that there was just refunds all around on that one. So if you want to betting this game in Las Vegas, you wind up getting a refund. If you want to betting it elsewhere, well, it is one of those things where you just need to check your house rules. And then there was a lot of mystery as to what would have happened in the Braves versus Red Sox game if that game wound up getting called. Now, there are a couple books that they wind up doing things different. So always, always, always. I cannot stress this enough. Check your house rules before you wind up asking because they're going to know a little bit better than myself because every single one of these books is now a little bit different. It's a little bit of a pain of this because typically it used to be like three, four years ago when it was only Las Vegas, there was a set way of doing it. If the Red Sox versus Braves game would have been called after six innings, that's a situation in which... All totals and all run lines would have been a refund because there's always the 27 outs rule. The team that winds up losing the game, they need to get 27 outs unless it's a seven inning double header, in which case the losing team needs to get 21 outs. But that's how that would have went down. And then you would have had the money lines wind up cashing. Didn't necessarily change a whole heck of a lot given the results of that game, but you wind up having totals cashing because they did wind up picking up the game. And even though the game was picked up at midnight Eastern time, it still is one of these cases in which it was graded normally, even though it was picked up technically during the next day because it wasn't officially postponed, suspended, what have you, so... Hopefully that answers all your questions with those games. Always do appreciate it. Now let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better.
0: What happened yesterday? Let's go around the
1: bases and find out. Prior to Reds and Nationals being suspended, the Nationals were able to get off to a 3-0 lead. Jeff Hoffman, he winds up being able to get four outs in this game, and he gives up two runs. Brad Brock comes out of the bullpen. He gives up one run over the course of one and two-thirds innings, and then for the Washington Nationals, Joe Ross was able to throw four. Scoreless, So. Nationals were able to get off to a very good start in that one. And hey, there was more scoring in that game than the Tigers versus the Cleveland Indians game. The Tigers were able to get a 1-0 win as for the Indians. Solid start here from Tristan McKenzie. He did wind up blocking three, but five scoreless innings. And then from there, Cal Quantrill, he goes three innings. He gives up one run, but the problem was for the Cleveland Indians. They strand six men on base. They get four hits. Nothing doing. Jose Ureña, very solid in this start. Five and two-thirds innings, scoreless. Jose Cicero, Michael Fomer, along with Gregory Soto. For a bullpen of the Tigers that has the worst ERA in the big league so far this year, three and a third innings between the three of those gentlemen, all scoreless, so Tigers are able to get the job done in that one the Rays were able to get the job done at home against the Kansas City Royals, who won the final and for the race, very perplexing their home and road split. Says on the road so far this year, they've got the best record in the big leagues at 19-7, and 7. they are now 12-13 and 13 at home, as Mike Miner he was not a major disappointment in this one he gives up one run over the course of five innings punches out nine, from there, Greg Holland Scott Barlow, Josh Stamount, Jake Brantz, I'll give you a scoreless inning, it was Tyler Zuber, who comes in in the 10th inning. He winds up giving up the unearned run as the gentleman that winds up starting on second base was able to score. And for the Royals, their lone offense in this one, Andrew Benettendi gets his fourth home run of the season. That comes off of J.P. Fireisen, the former Brewers reliever that the Rays were able to acquire last week. But for Fire Eisen, he then comes out in the 10th. He was able to look solid there on Tyler Glass. Now, how about the start that he wound up having 11 strikeouts, 8 scoreless innings. He did his part and for the race. They did wind up straining 11 men on base, but still able to get the job done in this one. The Houston Astros were able to get the job done against the LA Dodgers, much like in the 2017 World Series. 5-2 the final for the Dodgers. They entered into this one winners of 12 out of their last 13, and they were able to get a Sheldon Noisy home run off of Ryan Stanek for a third home run the season by Trevor Bauer. He just didn't wind up getting a whole of a lot of support. Gives up two solo home runs over the course of six innings. You then wind up having... Three runs, two of which were earned, given up by Nate Jones in an inning of relief as he wound up giving up a home run as well. And then you wind up having coming into the game Dennis Santana for a scoreless inning. But for the Dodgers, not a lot doing against Luis Garcia, who winds up pitching six scoreless innings. The home run comes off of Ryan Stanek. He was someone that came in for an inning, gave up a run. And for Garcia, he gave up a run, but it was an unearned run. So did not wind up counting against his ERA. And then for the Houston Astros, their home runs off of Trevor Bauer, come off the bat of Carlos Correa's seventh of the season, Jose Altuve six, and then Elamendi Ziaz winds up taking Mr. Jones deep for his second home run of the season. For the Astros, they have now scored at least four runs in 16 out of their last 18 games. And for the Dodgers, this was just the second time in their last 11 games that they wound up giving up more than three runs. The Philadelphia Phillies are not scoring too many runs on the road, and for that matter, they're not getting too many wins on the road, as their record on the road for the season drops to 9-16 and 16, as they lose to the Miami Marlins by a count of 4-2. to two. Nick Neidert in this one was able to give a relatively solid start for the Miami Marlins. Gives up one run over the course of four innings, and then the bullpen was able to go to work from there. Anthony Bender gives up an under run. Richard Blyer, Anthony Bass, Ross Detweiler, Yimi Garcia, all scoreless innings. And for the Miami Marlins, 3-6 with Ben in scoring position. No home runs or anything in this one, but they were able to get to the Philadelphia Phillies bullpen as Aaron Supernola looked pretty super in this one and gives up one run over the course of six innings. His home and road splits have always been a little bit of a concern, but he was able to put it together in this one. Connor Brogdon gave you a scoreless inning, and then Sam Kudrodd. Comes out of the bullpen, gives up three runs in an inning, and that was not stellar as the Philadelphia Phillies. Also not stellar with men in scoring position as they went 0-6 of with that, leaving nine men on base. The LA Angels have got their first three-game winning streak since the first week of the season. 9-8, they They're able to take down the Texas Rangers. Dane Dunning was unable to get her Dunning. Gives up seven runs over the course of four innings, including two home runs. Wes Benjamin in long relief. Gives up two runs over the course of three innings, and Julie Rodriguez was able to give you a scoreless inning, but for the Angels, a lot of firepower in this one, as you have Taylor Ward getting his fourth home run of the season off of Dunning, and then Upton goes deep off of Mr. Dane Dunning. Justin Upton gets his tenth home run of the season for Griffin Canning. Not a bad start in this one. He did give up a pair of home runs, but three runs given up over the course of six innings. Angels' bullpen is still terrible. You have probably your most trustworthy bullpen piece in Tony Watson. Give up four runs while getting one out. Mike Myers gives up a run while being able to get it out as well. Rossi Iglesias comes in for a four-out save, and Steve Ciszek was able to give you a scoreless signing, but for the Rangers, Adonis Garcia ties Lager or Jr. for the league lead in home runs with 16. That one comes off of Canning. Canning serves one up to Nate Lowe as well. His eighth of the season, and Joey Gallo goes deep off of Mr. Watson for his eighth home run of the season, Before the Texas Rangers, very interesting team to say the least. They wind up covering yet another run line if you want up taking them early because they started out as the underdog. They closed as a favorite. The books are getting a little bit more bearish on the Angels, so if you want up taking it late like I did, got a nice plus price on the Angels, and they wind up coming through. The Chicago Cubs get a four to one win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. For the Pirates, not necessarily terrible pitching in this one. Out of pretty much everyone is Will Crow. He winds up getting four outs, but he gives up three runs, including a home run in the process. How about the bullpen, though? Seven and two-thirds innings. They give up one run. Chris Ryan gives up one run over the course of two innings. Dwayne Underwood Jr., three and two-thirds innings. Scoreless. Jason Sharif, Clay Holmes, they both give you a scoreless inning, but... For the Pittsburgh Pirates, they've got the field storm runs in the majors over the last three days. Nothing doing for them in this one. As for the Cubs, a very good start out of Trevor Williams. He gives up one run over the course of six innings, facing off against his former team. And the Cubs bullpen, they've been pretty solid as well. Craig Kimbrell, his 11th save of the season, squirrel setting from him. Dan Winkler, Andrew Chaffin, they combine for a squirrel setting. And then you wind up getting a squirrel setting out of Tommy Nance as well. So the Cubs continue to get the job done, even though they've got a losing record on the road themselves. The Oakland A's, they wind up losing their first two of the series against the Seattle Mariners, but they were able to get to Robert Duggar on Wednesday as they get a 6-3 win for Duggar. He winds up giving up five runs in three and a third innings, including a home run. Going deep for the Oakland A's in this one. Matt Olsen for his 13th home run this season. Then from there, the bullpen was actually pretty solid. You don't mess with the Johan Ramirez. was able to give you two scoreless innings. Anthony Machevich was able to give you a scoreless inning, and then Wyatt Mills gives up one run in one and two-thirds innings, but for the Seattle Mariners 2-6 of with Ben in scoring position, they weren't able to necessarily generate a lot of offense as you have James Capirillion and give up nothing over the course of seven innings. He was terrific as Merrill Petit comes out of the bullpen, gives up three runs in two-thirds of an inning. A little bit surprising as he's been very trustworthy, but then from there, Jake Diekman able to come in. He's able to get a four-out save, and for the Oakland A's, a team that I'm going to be asking Dan about a little bit earlier, currently leading the AL West, despite the fact that they've got a negative 11 run differential, so it's going to be interesting to see if there's regression there. Probably going to be a little bit of regression for St. Louis Cardinals starter John Gamp, but he was able to hold men on against the Chicago White Sox Says the Cardinals as a big underdog get a 4-0 win for Gant. Gives up 5 hits and 3 walks over the course of 5 innings, but he doesn't give up a single run. He now has a 181 ERA and a fielding independent north of 4, so... Tall tale signs of regression coming in there, but Genesis Cabrera along Giovanni Gallegos give you a combined three scoreless innings. Alex Reyes was able to close things out in the ninth, and for the St. Louis Cardinals' main form of offense, Tommy Edman going deep now once, but twice. His third and fourth of the season, first home run comes off of Mr. Carlos Rodan, who was very good in this one. I'll call him a tough luck loser. Gives up that solo home run over the course of six innings, punches out ten, and then he winds up getting a home run off of Aaron Bummer, winds up going an inning, giving up that solo run. Michael Kopech gives you a scoreless inning out of the bullpen. Now with a the Bucks of 2 era and Jose Ruiz winds up giving up two runs in the ninth inning. But for the Chicago White Sox, they wind up going 0 of 10 with men in scoring position, 13 men left on. Considering they scored zero runs. That is pretty darn awful. Speaking of pretty darn awful, that's the Baltimore Orioles. As they have now lost 9 straight games, but they were able to cover the run line. They wind up losing to the Minnesota Twins by a count of 3-2. to Ore Lopez not necessarily the worst start in the world. Gives up 3 runs over the course of 6 innings, but he did wind up giving up a long ball to Miguel Sano. His ninth of the season and for Sano, his 8th home run in the last 14 days. Michael Pineda was not Michael Pineda in this one. He gives up a solo home run over the course of 6 innings going deep for the Baltimore Orioles. Trey Boom Boom Mancini is 11th of the the season that comes in the first inning. Enzo Robles winds up coming out of the bullpenny, winds up giving up a run in the ninth inning. Kale Theobar, Ty Duffy, both able to give you scoreless settings. For the Minnesota Twins, now a team that I believe is a game or two above 500 in games that wrap up in regulation, in games that wind up going to extras and or are a seven-inning doubleheader. They've currently got a losing record, which I find to be very hilarious. Brewers have not necessarily been doing well in extra innings either. They wind up losing to the San Diego Padres at 10 innings by a count of two to one. For the Padres, Chris Paddock looked very solid in this one. Gives up a solo run over the course of six innings, going deep for the Milwaukee Brewers. Eric Lauer, the starting pitcher, winds up getting his first home run the season as Lauer. He himself was solid. Former San Diego Padres gives up a one run over the course of six innings. Brad Boxberger, Devin Williams, Josh Hader all come in from there and give you a scoreless inning. Brent Suter winds up coming out of the bullpen, gives up an under run, and for the Milwaukee Brewers, they wind up going 1 of 10 with men in scoring position in this one as the Padres' bullpen, which has been used for the most innings of any bullpen in the National League. They were superb. Tim Hill, Pierce Johnson, Austin Adams, Mark Melanson all give you a scoreless inning out of the pen, so they did their part in. For the Padres, they did not wind up getting any deep balls in this one, but they've now got the best ERA of any team out there in the Major League, so they were certainly able to hold it down with that regard. Things got very hairy in Arizona as the Diamondbacks wind up loading up the bases in the ninth, but they were unable to overcome the San Francisco Giants. Five to four of the final as the Giants wind up using a three-run eighth inning to be able to take care of this one for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Over the last 30 days, they've got the worst bullpen ERA in the big leagues, and it showed through in this one as Merrill Kelly, six solid innings. He gives up two runs, and then Stefan Kicktrin gives up a run out of the bullpen, and then Alex Young, back-to-back homers, and he was probably the most trustworthy Arizona. Arizona Diamondbacks bullpen piece prior to this game, as you wind up having Austin Slater get his sixth home run of the season, and then the first home run of the season. Might be the first home run of his career for Mr. Jason Vossler. So Jason Vossler winds up coming up with a very clutch home run there and for the San Francisco Giants. Johnny Cueto did not wind up having it in this one. He gives up four runs over the course of five innings, but the Giants bullpen, terrific. Tyler Rogers, Jake McGee, Nick Tropiano, Caleb Barger. All give you a score of saying him for Barger. Zero fifty-six ERA. Rogers, zero sixty-eight ERA, zeros and the Diamondbacks. They were able to go four of nine with men in scoring position, Joe Manapoli, at along with Taylor Clark, well will give you scoreless signings, but the Arizona are the backs. Once again, unable to get the job done thanks to their bullpen, and they are on a really nasty slide as they currently find themselves at the bottom of Major League Baseball with a eighteen and thirty-two record. So not necessarily going well there. Actually the Baltimore Orioles. Percentage points fine them at 17 and 32. So sorry about that, Orioles, and then the game wound up being finished between the Boston Red Sox and the Atlanta Braves nearly six hours after it started. This one winds wrapping up with a final of nine to five as William Contreras Got a home run in the ninth inning to make things a little bit interesting for the ant Braves his fifth of the season, then Nick Pavetta. Starting pitcher, winds and serving one up to Austin Riley, his tenth of the season, but Red Sox were able to get the job to him despite the fact that Pavetta gives up four runs in that homer over the course of six innings. Matt Andrees comes out of the bullpen. He winds up giving up that home run to Contreras, but Matt Barnes gets a final two outs. Adam Adovino, Josh Shaler, they combine for two score outs. And for the Boston Red Sox, a pair of home runs in this one. Rafael Devers and Hunter Renfro both go deep off of Drew Smiley, who's now giving Up an NL most 13 home runs for Renfro's sixth of the season. Devers is 14th smiley Miley. It continues to be a bad year for him. Gives up seven runs over the course of five and a third innings. Now rocking a 595 ERA. Bullpen from there, actually, was not too bad. Grant Dayton did wind up giving up two runs, but both of them were unearned in an inning. Sean Newcomb gives you a scoreless sign, and Luke Jackson gives you a pair of outs. So that's what we all wound up seeing from Major League Baseball on Wednesday, and if you're taking a look at just what we've seen in Major League Baseball in general so far this year over the last 30 days, Overs are hitting at a 52.3% clip. 203 and 185 and favorites over the last 30 days, they've made a massive run after it was a dog city. First two or three weeks of the year. 234 and 162 over the last 30 days. If you're looking at the season today, favorites 404 and 317, that's good for a 56% clip. Overs and unders are tied 351-351 because we have seen some unders recently in the last seven days. Unders are Currently hitting at a 48.9% clip, 45 overs, 43 unders, but I can tell you the last couple days have been very much under central after you wound up having a bunch of overs about six, seven days ago. So that's what we're all seeing in Major League Baseball right now and a man that does a great job of being able to follow all this and so much more is Dan Zimborski of Fangraphs. We're going to be asking him about the team that has been his biggest disappointment, teams that we could expect to have maybe some progression and regression throughout the year, and so much more. That's on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. It's myself, Jake Peterson.
0: Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network
1: hotline. And we're back here in Lovey, Las Vegas with Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Always great to get this gentleman on the podcast as he does absolutely terrific work with Fangraphs. But on top of that, he also contributes a little bit with ESPN from time to time as well. Man really knows his baseball, does a great job, and is a gentleman that grew up a Baltimore Orioles fan. So this is someone that... He certainly knows about taking a little bit of pain, but with that said, does an absolutely terrific job evaluating all things MLB, as it is Dan Zimborski joining me on the podcast. You're able to follow him on Twitter at DZimborski altogether, and I will spell out that last name S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I, and Dan, always great to have you aboard. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Greg, thanks for having me on. Always great to have you aboard, Dan, and when you take a look at the season in general, since we're almost two months through the season, it's hard to believe What has really been the biggest surprise to you? Because I think what's really standing out to me is some of these, like, I would consider them 30-, 31-year-old pitchers and their resurgence guys like John Gant, guys like Wade Miley, being able to put up the performance that, that they've had. I think that that's really been the biggest surprise to me.
2: I think for me, it's a team. I think it's the Twins. The Twins, have just looked horrible this year. They've just been a bad team. And more, it looks like a team that it's it's been far enough into the season. We're almost a third of the way in. we will be a third of the way in next week. It feels like they're a team that is going to have to do some kind of retooling. I don't think they're going to rebuild. But that's kind of the biggest story for me. The offense, I mean, a lot of that is carryover from 2019. Because one of the things about 2019 is the lack of pitchers hitting kind of disguised what a big deal the drop-off was. Contact rate around baseball for non-pitchers is actually slightly up this year, believe it or not. Which was something that kind of surprised me when I look at the- and I looked at that recently, but we've had a season. That's kind of the important thing, isn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. We've got a 162 game season. So certainly no shortage of baseball. that's going to be going down this year. And to your point on the Minnesota Twins in games that have wrapped up in nine innings, I believe that they're either at 500 or with their win over the Baltimore Orioles on Wednesday, a game above 500. But there's something in the neighborhood of like two and 15 in games that have either ended in seven innings or went to extra innings. And what do you chalk that up to? Because in games that wrap up in regulation, the Minnesota Twins, while well, they're not letting the world on fire, they've been just fine. But in these extra inning games and these seven inning double-headers, they've been absolutely terrible. The problem is, is you
2: don't get those wins back. No. If you're unlucky, I mean, whatever the cause is, it's always hard to pin down an exact cause. But just because you were unlucky now doesn't mean you're going to be lucky later. And they have a huge... You know, deficit the standings. At the start of the year, I thought they were a game or two better than the White Sox over 162, but that was when they started off tied and there were 162 games to play. Now, to take the division, they need to be 10 games better than the White Sox over just two thirds of a season, which means you have to think that on a 162 game basis, they're like 15 games better than the White Sox, like 13 games better than the Indians. And I'm not sure about any of that. No matter what the cause, They're in the hole now, and I don't know if there's really enough time to get back into it.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting to take a look at, as we do have Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs along with ESPN joining me on the podcast. And we take a look at some of these teams that either have a losing record but a plus run differential Or teams like the Oakland A's that have a very good record and a negative run differential. What do you make out of some of this stuff? Because with the Oakland A's, they're now 29-22, but they've got a negative run differential for the year. A lot of that can be chalked up to the fact that they wound up having a rough start to the year. You've got a team on the flip side, like the New York Mets, that they currently have a negative run differential. But right now, lead the National League East, I think a lot of this can be contributed to the fact that Well, right now there are guys in the outfield playing for the New York Mets. I don't think I've heard of themselves like Khalil Lee. But when you take a look at things like this, what do you make out of that sort of data? And do you think that we are going to eventually see things balance out, for lack of a better term, over 162? Well, I think a lot of things will even out. But in the case of the
2: Mets... I think the run differential itself will improve because they've gotten that run differential, you know, with Francisco Lindor not playing particularly well at all, to put it lightly. Conforto, Pilar, McNeil, Alonso, Nimmo are all on the disabled list. Even though I think they'll play closer to their so-called Pythagorean record, I think their their run score and runs prevention will also get better. So it's not, you know, negative, negative news for a team like them. I think that on some level they can say, hey, you know, Despite what's happened, we're in first place. That's not too bad. It could be a lot worse, which in the case of the Mets, it frequently is. I think they'll be okay. Every other team in the division does have questions around them.
1: Yeah, they certainly do. And for the New York Mets, are right now first place in the division. And in the starting lineup, we had 0-for-21 Cameron <laughs> Mabin. I mean, my goodness, the fact that you've got that going on right now. And I think they traded for Billy McKinney of the milwaukee birds to be able to and i air quotes here bolster the outfield so
2: it's always like this point of the season every year where you figure out where cameron maven is playing like <laughs> oh he's still playing
1: still collecting an mlb paycheck i mean i can't hate on him if i can get an mlb oh, no, paycheck. Not. <laughs> exactly i mean if i'm able to get paid for playing baseball and if i'm able to get paid for going over for 21 you know what? Please send me the money. I'll take check. I will take cash. It really does not matter to me as we do have Dan Zaborski of fangraphs showing me on the podcast. And certainly has been fascinating to take a look at things in general so far this season. And what I think is going to be an interesting case study as well is the LA Angels. They've looked a little bit better in their recent series against the Texas Rangers, but we know this with the Angels as well. This is a team that has gotten some very good performance out of Shohei Otani, but he's also the only starting pitcher on this rotation that entered into Wednesday with an ERA that was a sub-475, worst ERA out there in the big leagues. Do you think that there's any hope whatsoever for the Angels to be able to, we're not even going to throw out their exceed expectations, but even come close to expectations because now with Mike Trout out of the fold, for the next six, eight weeks and no doubt puts them behind the eight ball. But what do you make out of this team in general?
2: There's a is of course a massive, massive, I could just say massive for the next half hour, <laughs> categorize that for when I did, you know, my most irreplaceable players, which is something I run every year. I do a list of based on projections. I reproject every team with and without their best players. And Trout doesn't usually come out on top simply because the angels never looked that great anyway. But this year, he came out number one, and I think it's the first time he made that list. To lose him is obviously a particular problem for a team like the Angels, who are so trout reliant. I mean, they don't make the playoffs with trout, and he gives them, you know, a free eight wins every year at least. That's a massive issue. Even losing him for, say, every month, you lose like another win in the standings at minimum, which they can't afford. They're not in a position where they have. Any kind of room, they're looking up at pretty much everyone. I do think that there is still some hope with the pitching. One of the things that I track in the projections, Zips does calculate based on stat cast data, plate discipline data, how many strikeouts you'd expect from a picture given their stuff and their peripheral stats, or how many walks you expect. And the Angels are actually underperforming that. And that tends to actually be more predictive than the real stats are. Uh, so there is a possibility there. But just like when I talk with the twins, there is a time element here. If you're racing Usain Bolt in a race, there is a head start in which you are then favored to win. And no matter how good the Angels are if they if they're looking, you know, A dozen games back to the A's and the Astros in a month, it's over for them. Whatever they're gonna do, they have to do it quickly.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I do think that it's one of these circumstances in which the Angels should be able to perform a little bit better just by the fact that they're gonna get so many games against the Seattle Mariners. So I don't think it's as good as their record would indicate as well. You get to play against the Texas Rangers in the division, but you also have to play against the Oakland A's and the Houston Astros, who are looking very good as well. So Point counterpoint on that as we do have Dan Zaborski joining me on the podcast and just with what we've seen so far this season do you think that there is a little bit more of an edge to these teams that have good bullpens that have good starting pitching in general rather than in past years because we just noticed it throughout all major league baseball home runs are down we knew that the ball was going to be dead in a little bit and so far that does appear to be the case it just seems like guys in general are swinging at balls that are out of the zone pitchers know that they're able to get away with a little bit more over the heart of the plate. And I know that Alex Fass over there at Pitcher List wound up doing a study and he's showing that there's more balls that are being just left over the heart of the plate than we've ever seen in the sack ass era. And I do feel like these pitchers are a little bit less afraid of walking guys just because these guys are throwing – are swinging so widely out of the zone and they're not making as good a contact in general. Is that something that you take a look at with regards to your projections?
2: Not so much with the projections, uh, simply because projections are only so reactive in the short term. I do think that this is a particularly good year to have a deep bullpen, simply because nobody threw 200 innings last year. Nobody threw one hundred innings last year. When you start getting towards, you know, late July and August and September, and everyone's throwing innings that they haven't done in like two years, I think there's a good possibility we'll start with some serious injury. And that's going to result in teams either needing to let up or to have just more depth available. I wouldn't be surprised, for instance, if we saw more six man rotations down the stretch. You know, you've seen a few teams dip into that at times as their personnel has demanded. But I think we see more of that. And having, you know, deep bullpens is pretty important for that.
1: I agree with you. I do think that the value of a bullpen is bigger now than ever before. And heck, even a farm system as well, just because when you are able to bring up a couple guys, because we know that even these bullpen arms, even though they're only going one or two innings at a time, these guys are going to be having to pitch for triple the games that they did last year. That is something that is going to be a big impact as well, as we do have Dan Zaborski join me on the podcast and Dan, when you just take a look at things in general in baseball right now, is there a team or two that you think will either be better when the season ends than they are performing right now or a little bit worse? Do you see any progression slash regression with a team or two out there? I do
2: see some you know, progression from the Angels and the Twins, as we talked about. I think that the Red Sox might be in a little bit of problem if they have injuries in the rotation because their depth is not impressive there. Their five-man rotation has started 47 of the 49 games. That's a rotation that has a lot of players with injury question marks, and they don't have a lot behind that. So Red Sox have enough of a padding that they're not going to ever fall completely out like the wildcard race. I do kind of expect them to fade a bit out of kind of the main divisional race. I think we're still seeing... It slowly starts to turn into the Rays and the Yankees and the Blue Jays as we kind of expected at the start of the year. So that's a team I expect to be better. I think that we're going to see teams have to make some large decisions on where they go because how long do the Nationals, you know, stay below 500 before they start talking about, you know, trading a picture because they don't have much depth. They don't have a lot to trade for a divisional run. And that's also true with maybe a team like the Reds who are below 500. When do the Rockies trade Trevor Story? Because... It's hard to see them hang on to Trevor Story, John Gray, and just let them walk through free agency. Not that I'd be completely shocked if the Rockies made poor decisions, <laughs> but that will also you know, affect you know their record this season significantly should they ever pull the trigger on those trades. So there's some teams I see who are most prone to some movement, I think.
1: And with the Colorado Rockies, the good news is they can't do much worse <laughs> on the road than they've already done this year. Entering into Wednesday... 3-18 and 18 on the road. I mean, I know that there's splits between Coors Field and playing away from Coors Field, but my goodness, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. And a man that puts in more work than I don't think I've ever seen quite like, that would be you, Dan. You do an absolutely terrific job over there with Fangrass. I know you make some contributions with ESPN still as well list goes on and on of the great work that you're doing. So, all well, the good people at home know what you've all got going on in general and how they're able to follow along on social media and other platforms.
2: Well, you can always find me at Fangraphs.com almost every day. I'm always into something or other. You can find me at Zimborski on Twitter, D-S-Z-Y-M-B-O-R-S-K-I. Google will fix that if you misspell it. You can find me on ESPN occasionally, uh, and that's pretty much where you'll find me.
1: And Dan doing absolutely terrific work looking at all things baseball. And whenever we get him on this podcast, we always get enlightened. So, big thanks to Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time to podcast. I give you a sign to on every game on the betting board for this wonderful Thursday as we touch them all.
0: Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion.
1: And we're back here in Love you, Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. A big thanks to our good friend Dan Zaborski of Fangraphs for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you a sign total on every game on the betting board for this Thursday as we... Touch them all.
0: If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all.
1: Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at jrscorady One We wound up getting two rainouts yesterday, and as a result, we've got a pair of doubleheaders. Those are going to be done at the end, because the original game on the Las Vegas rotation order, those wound up getting canceled, and then they just wound up placing them at the bottom. So, if you're looking for the Yankees versus Blue Jays double dip, along with the Rockies versus Mets double dip, those are going to be at the end. So, just be mindful of that, and as per usual, we're going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. That's where we go National League games first, then the American League games, then any Interleague Games are going to be before those subletters, so we're going to be starting off with the first nationally game. This would be game number 951, 952 on the betting board. As you've got the Philadelphia Phillies in the road face off against the Miami Marlins. Spencer Howard is on the bump for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Pablo Lopez is going to be on the bump for the Fish. Fish or find themselves anywhere between minus 135, minus 150 favorites. Meanwhile, if you take a look at the Phillies, you're gonna be finding them anywhere between plus 125 and plus 130. Your total on this game is seven. The under is anywhere between plus one oh five and seeing as bad as minus one ten. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the over, I'm finding as good as minus one oh five, as bad as a minus one twenty-five. So you got quite a range there and. This is a spot in which I do think that this sort of set a little bit too low. Spencer Howard has been having a lot of hype around him for the last couple years. He just has never really delivered on it. I think that he still needs a little bit of time to develop before I really trusted him as a pitcher. 7 to 3rd inning so far this year. 6 walks in that time span. And If you take a look at what he wound up doing last year, it just wasn't too terrific. If you combine this year and last year's stats, he has given up 6 home runs over the course of 32 innings. He does have 36 strikeouts, but the walks are an issue. Right around 4.6 walks per nine innings. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Lopez. He's been able to do a relatively solid job so far this year. Two and a half walks per nine innings, giving up about .7-ish home runs per nine. So I do like what you're getting there. And with the Miami Marlins, you got a couple guys at the top of the order that are doing a solid job of getting on base for this team. You got Asus Aguiar. He's been able to give you nine home runs, 36 RBI. Corey Dickerson has been a relatively solid player. Now, Miguel Rojas wound up getting the day off yesterday along Corey Dickerson, but these are a pair of guys sitting in that neighbor of about a 270-275 .275-ish. The bottom of this order can be a little bit brutal as you've got guys like Izan Diaz, John Birdie, the now-back Jorge Alfalo, Jose Devers, Mingolia Sierra, all these guys hitting at 2.25 or lower. But when Cooper has been out there, he's been able to give you something more around a 2.50 batting average. So he's been relatively soft for this team. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, got a pair of guys in the infield hitting above a 300. Brad Miller, Gene Segura, Bryce Harper is going to be out for this game. And I do believe that J.J. Mito is still going to be on the injured list as well. So you have to deal with an outfield. That involves Roman Quinn along with Andrew McCutcheon McCutcheon has been able to give you a little bit of power He's been able to pound out 7 home runs so far this year But Roman Quinn, not very good Odubo Herrera has actually really picked it up And Reese Hoskins has a home run in this series But I do think that the Miami Marlins are going to be able to set themselves up for success They did wind up having to use up quite a bit of their bullpen yesterday After Nick Neider wound up only being able to give them 4 innings But with the Philadelphia Phillies, even though the bullpen is relatively rested It's still a bad bullpen Connor Brogdon, not someone I necessarily trust, and Jose Alvarado has been brutal, to say the least. Archie Bradley's off the injured list, and he doesn't do much for me, and you just take a look at the Phillies on the road so far this year. Entering into yesterday, a 9-15 road record, 15-10 home record. Meanwhile, the Miami Marlins, relatively solid, both home and road. I do think that Pablo Lopez is going to be able to give a good start here. I think this total is set a little bit too low, because I do think that Howard is going to be knocked out very early, and then you wind up having that terrible Phillies bullpen. So, we're going to be taking the over, and I'm going to be willing delay up to a minus 145 here with the Miami Marlins, seeing mostly minus 140, so we're going to take the fish on the money line. 953-954 was supposed to be the Colorado Rockies versus New York Mets. That is going to be done in the final portion of this as that double header has been moved to the bottom. 955-956 on the bagging board. The Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be playing the Chicago Cubs. Kyle Hendricks is going to be going for the Cubbies. Tyler Anderson is going to be on the bump for the Pittsburgh Pirates. Your total on this game is 8. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between even a minus 115. If you're looking at the Cubs, going to be laying anywhere between minus 132 and minus 139. Your plus price here with Pittsburgh is anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125. For Anderson, he wound up getting completely shelled in his last start against the Atlanta Braves. Then again, everyone on the Pittsburgh Pirates wound up getting shelled against the Atlanta Braves. So that was not necessarily too terrific. It has really jacked up his ERA for the year. Eight home runs given it up over the course of 51 and a third innings. Five of them give it up in his last two starts where he gave up a combined 13 runs. If you take a look prior to that he had given up 14 runs over the course of about 41 ish innings. So he's registering about a 3-3 three, ish ERA if you wind up doing the mess. So he's actually been relatively rock solid aside from his last two starts. And at home the 374 ERA has been able to do a better job of being able to keep the walks down even though guys are getting on base. And with the Chicago Cubs you want to note their home and road splits. This is a team that on the road so far this year. They have registered a 10-13 and 13 record. Meanwhile, they're 16-9 and 9 at home, so they're clearly a little bit more comfortable when they are at Wrigley Field. Now, the offense has actually been relatively solid home to road. You do have Chris Bryant, who's actually hitting a little bit better on the road than he is at home. Double-digit amount of homer, 300 batting average. Javi Bias has been able to do a nice job of reaching base. He, Jock Peterson, Eric Sogard, all in between a 255 and a 270. You got a couple guys like David Bodie and company that they do need to pick it up, and Anthony Rizzo has been in and out of the fold, but by and large, you've been able to get some solid offense out of the Chicago Cubs. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Pittsburgh Pirates. Adam Frazier is getting on base. He's hitting north of a 325. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Brian Reynolds when he's been out there as well. Right around a 375 on base. Jacob Selling's a 350 on base. And Will Craig has been able to pick it up a little bit. Wilmer Defoe has been able to give you a tad bit of something, but he doesn't get necessarily consistent playing time. And then you've got Kevin Newman, Eric Gonzalez, Ben Gamble, good-a-goody These guys hitting a 220 or lower. The Pittsburgh Pirates have the fewest home runs of any team in baseball so far this month, and they're going up against a good team that they've got a really good bullpen. Guys like Andrew Chafin, Dylan Maples, Craig Kimbrell, his resurgence, Brad Weak, they've all been able to do the job. And then we take a look at Kyle Hendricks. He throughout his career just has been not the same pitcher away from home as he is in Wrigley. Now, this year has been a little bit different, but still, on the road, 440 to a ERA. That's pretty much on par with what he's done throughout his career. He has given up about one home run every six innings. He's only issued one walk in 18 and a third innings on the road, but still, opponents are hitting 330 off of him. This is a Pittsburgh Pirates team that they love to go death by a million cuts, so I actually do think that this is a good matchup for them. I do think that Anderson, after he wound up having two rough starts, he's going to be able to find it here. I was only willing to lay up to a minus 124 here with the Chicago Cubs. I need to get a plus 124 here with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Right now, I'm seeing plus 123 at Circa. I certainly think that money is going to be coming in on the Chicago Cubs, so I'm going to wind up on the Pittsburgh Pirates in this spot. Set this total 8.3 as well. I do think that both of these guys are going to be giving up a little bit of something, in the Cubs' offense has been solid. So we're going to be taking the over along with the Pirates. We move on to 957, 958 on the Bang board. The Milwaukee Bears are going to be playing us the Slam Diego Padres. Ryan Weathers is going to be going for the pods. Adrian, don't call me Dookie Housers, on the bump for the Milwaukee Brewers. Brewers are an underdog here. Anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120, seeing plus 112 out there as well. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the pods, anywhere between minus 124 and minus 140, your total on this game is ranging between 8 and 8.5. And on the 8, overs just minus 120. The unders even on the 8 and a half, unders anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Overs anywhere between even and minus 105. With the Brewers, it certainly is a little bit tough to trust in Adrian Hauser throughout his career. It looks like he's having a couple good starts for you, and then things wind up regressing, and this is a Milwaukee Brewers lineup that is not going to be backing him up very well. Now, Cole Wong has been able to do a solid job. He's hitting at two seventy five, Christian Yelich since he's come off the injured list a little bit brutal. three eighty on base for the season, but he's still stuck on one home run. Omir Nervais, a four-under on base. He has been able to do the job, but Castanero, Travis Shaw, William Damas, Jackie Bradley Jr., Lorenzo Cain, Manny Pina, list goes on and on of guys hitting a 215 or lower for the seam and for the San Diego Padres. Fernando Tatis Jr. is hitting right around at 300 right now with the double digit amount of homers. He's been able to tear it up. Manny Machado is currently injured but he wasn't necessarily doing a ton for the team this season. Will Myers, Victor Carantini, pair of guys with a 320 on base despite lowish batting averages. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Mr. Ode Mateo out there in the outfield as well. One of the better speedsters that you're going to find in the major leagues and for the Padres. This is a team in which they've got a bullpen that has been used for more innings than any team out there in baseball, but they've also got the best ERA of any team out there in the National League as well. And for Ryan Weathers, they have been babying him a little bit, but he has been solid in the innings that he's been allowed to pitch. 148 ERA. He's given up about .9 home runs per 9 innings. That compared to Adrian Hauser, who's given up more like 1.7 home runs per 9 innings with Hauser right around 4 walks per 9. Not necessarily a strikeout artist. So, I do give the edge here to the Padres. Was willing to lay up to a minus 129. Currently seeing it circa minus 126. A lot of places still have right around a minus 127-ish. So, this is going to be a take on the Padres with this total. I do think that we're going to see a couple runs scored. I want him saying this whole 8.8. I do think that Hauser is going to be giving up most of them because other than Devin Williams and Josh Hader, and they typically enter in the 8th and ninth innings of close games, the Brewers have not necessarily been able to get great bullpen pitching. Anil Perdomo is someone that I don't necessarily have a lot of faith in. It's really hard to take a look at someone like a Brent Suter and think, oh yeah, he's going to be able to come through. Trevor Richards is someone that I'm actually a little bit bullish on, but with that said, I trust in the guys that the Padres have, like Mark Melanson, Tim Hill, Pierce Johnson, list goes on and on. So I'm going to wind up taking the Padres on the money line to go along with this total. Over 959, 960 on the betting. Board, you had my New York Post later today as the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on to Cincinnati, and they're on the road to face off against the Washington Nationals. Steven Strasburg goes for the Nets. Meanwhile, Sonny Gray is on the bump for the Reds. Dolan's game is 8 the overs anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. If you're looking at the red likes, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it here with Washington, anywhere between minus 131 and minus 143 with Strasburg, he has made five starts since the beginning of the 2020 season, and he's got an ERA of a 575 in that time, 1.8 home runs per nine. So certainly has not been going well for him there. He's got 11 walks and 15 in a third inning, so you can tell that he's not quite right. And for Sonny Gray, he also began the year on the injury. List. He's given out four and a half walks per nine innings. His home runs per nine rate of one and a half is on pace to be the worst of his career as well. So you've got a pair of guys that have made all-star games, a pair of guys that have been very solid, but they're just not performing up to stuff right now. And for Gray on the road, a 5-1-4 ERA, and he's got opponents hitting 293 off of him. So that's not terrific now for the Reds offense has certainly been much better at home than it is on the road, and you wound up having that wonky rain delay yesterday as well, so that is going to be maybe playing a little bit of a factor here, but for the Reds we've got two guys that are doing a great job of getting on base with north of 400 on bases. Jesse Winker Nick Cassianos out there in the outfield. Both of these guys hanging above a 340, both Taylor and Aikwin. He has been able to do a good job putting back the ball. He's got 10 home runs so far this year. Problem is, seven of those home runs, they have come at home. Tucker Barnard has been able to get on base. You've also got a guy like a Jonathan India who's solid at home on the road. He's hitting below the Mendoza line. Meanwhile, when you take a look at the Washington Nationals, Trey Turner down for what has been terrific for the team. Double-digit amount of home runs over a 300 batting average. Josh Bell, Kyle Schwarber, they got off to rough starts to begin the year, but these are two power hitters. They're starting to find it. Josh Harrison, north of a 300 batting average. Andrew Stevenson has been up and down, but he's able to give you a little bit of something. Juan Soto, you gotta think that he's gonna have more than the four home runs that he does right now. and still has a 400 on base with the Reds. There's just no trusting in this bullpen. TJ Antone wound up getting used up for quite a few innings yesterday. He's really a long guy that I do like for the team, but now you have to rely upon Amir Garrett, who has north of a 7 ERA. Sean Doolittle is doing very little for the team. Ashton Goodoo, not necessarily a guy that you want to be trusting in Along long Embry, And for the Washington Nationals, they've done a good job of be able to upgrade their bullpen. Kyle Finnegan as that is up to and downs, but I do like him. Brad and Danny Hudson, they're able to be trustworthy late in games, but then you've got Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. And there's a reason why I call him Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks. And for Strasburg and Gray, I think that both of these guys are going to wind up struggling, which is why the New York Post Play today is going to be the over. I certainly do like the Washington Nationals form. I do not like the Reds on the road. I was willing to lay up to a minus 141 here with the Nets, so I'm going to be taking them on the money line to go along with the New York Post play today, which is the over. 961, 962 on the betting board. You've got the St. Louis Cardinals sitting the road to face off against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Matt Peacock is going to be going for the D-backs. Carlos Martinez is going to be going for the Cardinals. Currently, no numbers are listed up on this game because it looked like Seth Frankhoff was probably going to get the start for the Diamondbacks. They decided to go with Peacock and said That is this off the board, but I can tell you right now. My line is, if it's a 9 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 9.5 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under. Set the Cardinals at minus 132 on the money line. If I get north of a plus 130 on the run line, I'll be considering that as well. With Carlos Martinez had a really brutal start to begin the year, but he's been able to find it a little bit more Recently, 4180 ERA for the year, but he's actually kept the ball in the yard. He's given up about a home run every 16 innings, which that's actually relatively rock solid. You take a look at him; he has given up two runs or fewer in now four out of his last five starts, so he's in good form with that regard. You take a look at what he's also been able to do on the road. Actually, has a little bit of a lower ERA on the road than he does at home. He's given up one home run in 24 innings on the road, and opponents are earning a 207 off of him. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. This is a team that they've been able to do a relatively solid job on offense, but a lot that came early. Now they're starting to struggle. Good news is they've got Carson Kelly and Kitel Marte back, but these guys are going to need to round into form a little bit. They spent quite a bit of time on the injured list. You've also got someone back in Mr. Josh Rojas. He has been in and out of the fold a little bit himself. Eduardo Escobar has been able to give you 12 home runs, hitting only at two thirty though, and he was the only guy in the starting lineup for the years in Diamondbacks yesterday with more than six home runs for the season. They're kicking the tires on Josh Reddick. It's not necessarily working. Paven Smith has been able to give you a little bit, but up and down there for the years in the Diamondbacks over the last 30 days. They have the worst bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Kevin Genko has been terrible. Joe Manaply has been awful. Riley Smith is currently being used as a long reliever. Alex Young has actually been relatively solid on the bullpen. I think that he should actually be a starter for this team. John Duplantier, I have no idea what they're going to be doing with him. And then you take a look at the flip side for the St. Louis Cardinals. Bullpen has been relatively solid. I do like what you're able to get out of a guy like a Genesis Cabrera who wound up pitching yesterday. Looked very solid. Alex Reyes wound up coming in yesterday. You got to figure that he's probably not going to be able to go in this one because he wound up throwing 20 pitches, but you're still able to rely upon someone like Ryan Aisley. Tyler Webb is someone that's Uh, Cody Whitley is not necessarily the best start to the year but Junior Fernandez in long relief has been good as well. I do think that the St. Louis Cardinals despite the fact that they're traveling this is a night game so I don't mitigate that. Should be a sizable favorite here set them at minus 132 and like I said anything below nine going to be taken on the over nine and a half or higher going to be taken on the under. 963, 964 on the betting board you got another game that's presently off the board as it is the LA Dodgers playing us the San Francisco Giants. Right now, the San Francisco Giants have Alex Wood listed as their starter. The Dodgers have absolutely nobody listed on their starter. And the betting board has no listed starter. So this is a game in which you've got a lot of mystery with. With the Dodgers would not doubt if they wind up taking the wholesale approach. Maybe this is a spot in which you wind up trotting out there David Price for a start. That would seem to make all the sense in the world. want to blast pitching on Sunday. We all know that he's got starter experience. Jimmy Nelson is a guy that typically you'd be looking to for a couple innings as well, but he is currently on the injured list, so you got a little bit of a riddle here. Now, you're probably going to be expecting someone like a Victor Gonzalez to be able to give you a little bit of something. They've been liking Edwin Yaceta as a little bit of a long guy as well. He want a pitching on Sunday last as well. He's been trotted out there for multiple innings. Has not necessarily been too terrific, so. So I don't know how that's going to wind up going. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you've been able to get out of Alex Wood for the San Francisco Giants. He's been absolutely magnificent. His one loss wound up coming against the Dodgers and it's not like he pitched badly in that game, gave up two runs over the course of six innings. I believe that he has given up two runs or fewer in every one of his starts so far this year. So he has been terrific with that regard. Has won at least five innings in every one of those starts. You've got to be given a little bit of an entrance to the San Francisco Giants here, especially if you're going to be giving me plus money and it is Alex Wood against a bullpen game of the LA Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers doing an absolutely terrific job of being able to put back to ball, but keep in mind that they're going to be traveling from Houston as well. You do have a guy, Max Muncy, right around a 450 on base. It's absolutely insane. Double day driven out of home runs. Mookie Betts has struggled a little bit, though. 363 on base is nice, and he, along with Justin Turner, down for what? Will Smith, all on base is between a 360 and a 370, but certainly you would expect a little bit more than a 250 batting average. Gavin Lux is hitting more like a 260 for the same. Matt Beattie hitting a 270, but Yoshi Satsugo, along with Sheldon Noisy, some of these guys have not necessarily been able to develop Albert Pools. He's a guy that he's a little bit over the hill, in my opinion. And then you take a look at the bullpen of the San Francisco Giants, leaving a little bit of something to be desired. But still, you've got some relatively rock-solid pieces out there. I like what you're getting out of Jake McGee, Tyler Rogers. You've even had a little bit of something out of Caleb Barger, who's got like a 0.60 ERA. So he has been relatively solid. This is the spot in which I'll probably be taking a look at a total probably 7.5 or lower for the over 8 or higher and under and if it winds up being Alex Wood versus a bullpen game, I'm probably going to be taking the San Francisco Giants in some form or capacity. Check back in the morning my Twitter feed at JarenSquirty1 but that's where I'm leaning here. 965-966 on the batting board. You've got the Cleveland Indians in the road face off against the Detroit Tigers. Matthew Boyd is going to be going for the t Shane Bieber-Fever is on the bump for the Cleveland Indians. Indians are finding themselves as sizable favorites here anywhere between minus 162 and minus 175. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Tigers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 1 145 and plus 155. Totals range between 7 to 7.5. On the 7, under is anywhere between even money and minus 115. Meanwhile, the over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 120. On the 7.5, under is minus 125. The over is plus 105. And with Matthew Boyd, he's actually been relatively solid. You may recall, I asked Alex Fass of Pitcher List about him a couple days ago, and he's been despite the 2-5 record, much better this year. Giving up two home runs at 52 and two-thirds innings. Last season, he was giving up more than two home runs per nine innings. He's limited the hard contact. He's limited the walks as well. He's given out a little bit over two walks per nine innings. And for Shane Bieber, he's been solid. He's given out right around three walks per nine innings. He has given up a little bit of hard contact, but still, he's getting you right around 13.3 punch-outs per nine innings. Not something that you can complain about. And for the Cleveland Indians, this team has, in my opinion, the best bullpen out there in the American League with all of its depth. James Cameron, Aaron Jack, Phil Maine, Emmanuel please. Nick Sandlin has been solid. Nick Wittgren needs to pick it up a little bit, but by and large, you've got a lot of guys they do trust in. And for the Tigers, worst Pope area out there in the big leagues? No fans are butts about it, but you do have a guy for the Detroit Tigers that's helping out this offense And Errol Castro, hitting now at 350 with a 388 on base. Much needed for this team. He, along with Robbie Grossman, has 375 on base. Only guys in the lineup yesterday with north of a .355-ish on base because you've got Jameer Candelario out there as well, but then you have these slugs in this lineup. Nico Goodrum, Jake Rogers, Grayson Griner, Jonathan Scope, Miguel Cabrera, Noah Mazzara, only a 225 or lower. Meanwhile, for Cleveland Indians, it has been a little bit tough for the same frame. Mel Reyes is currently on the injured list, but you've got a trio of guys hitting between a 250 and a 260 And Jose Ramirez, Hero Ramirez, along Josh Naylor. And for Jose Ramirez, double digit amount of home runs. He's been sold there. Cesar Hernandez has been able to pick it up a little bit. And they've been getting a little bit of something out of catcher Rene Rivera. He's hitting above a 250 for this bunch, so you'd like to see that because guys like Austin Edges, Roberto Perez, who has been injured for a very long time, they've not necessarily been able to get the job done. And certainly, I do think that Shane Bieber should be a favorite. Question is, by how much? Because Matthew Boyd has been pitching better than his record would indicate. I need at least a plus 157 to take a shot here on the Tigers. I'm right now seeing a bunch of plus 155-ish, so you then go to the run line, see where that is at with the Cleveland Indians run line, you're finding as good as even money, about as bad as minus 110. I personally needed a plus price here to take a shot on the Indians. I'm willing to lay up to a minus 125 with the Tigers. I'm seeing that at a minus 120. In some form or capacity, I will be on the Tigers. If this winds up getting to the Tigers being more around a plus 160 on the money line, I'm going to be taking that. If it winds up being a situation which the Indians continue to be like even money on the run line, I'm going to be taking the plus run and a half with the Tigers, but in some form or capacity going to be on them. Set this total at 7.3 as well. Seeing a little bit of an unjuiced seven, that appeals to me, so we're going to be taking that over. 967, 968 on the bagging board. The Tampa Bay Rays are going to be playing us against City Royals. Brady Singer is going to be going for the Royals. Shane McClanahan is on the bump for the Rays. Rays are finding themselves anywhere between minus 165 and minus 190 favorites. Yeah, you probably don't want to be taking the minus 190. Meanwhile, if you are taking a look at the Royals, you're going to be finding them anywhere between plus 148 and plus 155. Your total on this game is 7.5 over and under. And we're between minus 105 and minus 115. For Singer, I feel like he's actually done a relatively solid job. I was willing to take anything that was pretty much north of a plus 140. So, getting a plus 150 here, I feel good about that. He does have a 4 ERA, but he's given up right around one home run every 15 innings. So, a home run's per 9 rate that's hovering right around a .6. So, I do like what you're getting there. Actually, he's had a little Bit of a better ERA on the road than he is at home, and opponents are hitting right around about a 250-ish off of him. But he is going to be going up against the Tampa Bay Rays lineup that since the beginning of the 2020 season they have the most strikeouts per nine of any lineup out there in the big leagues. Now you do have a couple guys that are doing a good job of BL reach base for this team. Randy Orozarena, along the Andy Diaz and Joey Wendell, all have on base percentages are north of a 355. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Manuel Margot hitting at 250, but then you've got quite a few guys that they need to pick it up with their batting average. Awesome Meadows... Mike Zanino Brett Phillips all hanging between a 225 and a 215 now I will say for Zanino double digit amount of home runs most of those have been solo shots as he's got like 11 home runs at 22 total RBI so that's been a little bit interesting and then you take a look at the flip side for the Royals you just need Orde Soler to give you a little bit more of something he is hitting a buck 76 with 4 home runs he had 48 home runs during the 2019 season it's been really embarrassing to watch you've also got Michael A. Taylor Whitmerfield Carlos Santana hitting between a 245 and a 255 with Santana North of a 375 on base, and then you've got Edelberto Mondesi back in the fold. That is good to see. He and Calvin Gugtieras should be able to give this team a little bit of something now. Gerard Dyson, Nikki Lopez, neither of these guys are necessarily hitting for average. And for the Kansas City Royals, the bullpen wound up following on some tough times, but it does feel like they're starting to bounce back a little bit. Jake Prince is someone that I actually like. He and Scott Barlow have been able to do a good job. We'll hold down the Fort Josh Daymount has come in. He has been relatively solid now. I have absolutely no faith whatsoever in Wade Davis, but then you take a look at the Tampa Bay Rays. Bullpen has been nails ever since they wound up having a little bit better off-go to begin the year. They wind up getting back... Diego Casio, Long, Pete Fairbanks, A.Y. training for J.P. FireEyes. And you know that if the Rays want your bullpen pieces, they're probably pretty good. Note to you, Milwaukee Brewers, but Andrew Kitchurch has been able to do a good job of V.O. Hold down the Fort Ryan. Thompson is someone that I do like as well. So I do think that the Rays are going to be able to get a pretty solid performance out of the bullpen bow with McLannan, very young guy, able to throw north of 100 miles per hour. I do like the upside of him, but he is someone that I fear is going to give up a little bit too much of the long ball. Now, he's given up right around 2.7 walks Per nine innings. He hasn't been terrible there. A little bit over 10 strikeouts per nine, but he does give up quite a bit of contact in general. I do think that this is a good spot overall for the Kansas City Royals. So I'm going to be taking the plus price here. I wound up setting the total at 8.4. I do think that both of these guys are going to wind up giving up a little bit of action and with the race, I have just noticed in general that they've been playing a lot of over. So we're going to be taking the over to go along with the Kansas City Royals on the money line. 969, 970 is the Blue Jays and the Yankees. That is going to be done at the end of this podcast because it is now a double dip so 969, 970 pretty much got canceled, and it has been replaced by a double dip at the bottom of the rotation. 971, 972 on the betting board. The Chicago White Sox are going to be playing against the Baltimore Orioles. Bruce Zimmerman is going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Dylan Cease and DeCease is going to be on the one for the White Sox. White Sox are finding themselves very big favorites here. Anywhere between minus 210 and minus 230, Sing straight minus 205 out there as well. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Orioles, anywhere between plus 176 and plus 196. Your total on this game is nine. Over is work between minus 105 and minus 120. The Anywhere between even a minus 115 for Zimmerman. It certainly has not necessarily been the world's greatest run for him to begin the year, and I need at least $2 to be taking a shot here on the Baltimore Orioles. It certainly has not been a great year for Baltimore in general, and you just take a look at Mr. Zimmerman. He's given up a bunch of our contact, which I find to be very troubling. He has won 38 and two-thirds innings, giving up nine home runs, and the Chicago White Sox, Twenty-four and three in their last twenty-seven games against starting pitchers that are lefties. So. Yeah, that's not good. Meanwhile, with Dylan Cease, he's done a good job of being able to limit the hard contact. He's a guy that's given up right around .6 home runs per nine innings. Now the walks are high. He's given up a little bit under five walks per nine innings, but he's backed up by a bullpen that is relatively solid. Matt Foster, Evan Marshall both wound up getting off to rough starts to the of the year, but I have faith that they're going to be able to pick it up. Aaron Bummer wound up getting used up yesterday, but you've got Garrett Crochet, who's going to be available for the team, and then when you take a look at the lineup. Nick Madrigal, Yeraman Mercedes, pair of guys hitting above a three hundred. Yohan Moncada has an on-base percentage as north of a four Osea Jose, but he has been able to find it a little bit as well, Now nowing at 256. After he wound up having a bad start to begin the year. Adam Eaton, Billy Hamilton, pair of guys sitting below the Mendoza line of 200 is not necessarily terrific. And Yasmani Grandal is like a buck 50 batting average and nearly a 400 on base. I am not sure how that works, but somehow, some way, it is happening. And then when you take a look at the flip side for the Baltimore Orioles, Cedric Mullins has actually been a good table setter for the team. He's hitting nearly a 300, 375 ish on base. So I do like what he's bringing to the table. Freddie Galvis, along with Anthony Santander, both getting between. A 250 and a 260. So you're able to get a little bit of something there. Trey Boombo Mancini, double-digit amount of home runs, 280 batting average. So that has been solid. But then you take a look at guys like a hey, Roman Urias, Ryan McKenna, Mikel Franco, Chancisco, Pat Faleka, all these guys hitting at 215 or lower. It certainly does hurt them. Now with the Orioles. Bullpen has actually not been terrible for this team. They did wind up using up Tanner Scott yesterday, but only for 10 pitches. Sean Armstrong is absolutely terrible, and they used him yesterday, so it's actually a little bit of an upgrade. You've also had Adam Plutko as a little bit of a long guy, and he's been solid. Cole Solzer is able to give you a bit of something as well. They wind up bringing up Brandon Woodhill as well. It's going to be interesting to see what he's able to bring to the table, but this is a situation in which I do think that the White Sox are going to wind up matching left-handed pitching once again. If you're taking a look at the run line, I'm seeing this anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. I I do recognize that on the money line I've got it a little bit closer to the Orioles than the White Sox in this spot, but I think the White Sox are going to be able to win by multiple runs. I'm willing to lay about a minus 120-ish on the run line. I officially set it at minus 117, so it's within my vicinity of a lot of these Vegas numbers. So we're going to be taking the run line here of the Chicago White Sox. Also wound up saying this total at 10 because I think that both of these offenses are going to be able to get going. So we're going to be taking the over along with the White Sox run line. 973-974 on the betting board. The LA Angels hit the road face off against the Oakland A's. Chris Bassett hopes to take a Oakline and sinker for the A's. Meanwhile, Shohei Ohtani is on the bump for the Angels. Your total on scheme is 8. Under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Over anywhere between even a minus 110. If you're looking at the Angels, you're going to be finding them And between plus 120 and plus 133. If you're looking to lay it here with Oakland, that is anywhere between minus 135 and minus 148 with Bassett, He has done a very good job of being able to limit hard contact right around one, one run per nine innings. Now, I will say this. With the Oakland A's, they have been giving up a better ERA at home than they have been on the road At They're giving up right in the neighborhood of about a 4-6-ish ERA on the road. That's about a point-ish lower, so that is something that I've been taking note of. Meanwhile, for Shohei Otani, the walks are high. Nearly 7 walks per 9 innings, but 30 and a third innings, he is getting right around 12 and a half strikeouts per 9 innings. 237 ERA. Only Angels starter entering into yesterday with an ERA that is sub four seven five. And with the Angels, you've got a lineup that's doing a relatively good job of being able to reach base. Otani himself, 15 home runs out of 270 batting average. He's been able to help out his own cause whenever he's been out there on the Mound. You take a look at Jared Wall, hitting above a 300. He's been able to give you some hard contact as well. I like what he's bringing to the table. Justin Upton, he's got 10 home runs now. His batting average leaves a little bit of something to be desired, as he, along with Jose Rojas, Drew Biterra, Taylor Ward, a couple other guys, owing at 230 or lower for this team, including Anthony Rendon, who's sitting at 223. We know that that's going to improve, but certainly has been a little bit tough there, but Jose Iglesias, whenever he's out there, he's been solid along David Fletcher, and then you take a look at this Angels bullpen. It is not good, and that's putting it very politely. That was on display yesterday after they wound up giving up five runs over the course of three innings. Rossio Iglesias wound up getting used up. Mike Myers, Tony Watson, two of your more trustworthy guys are not going to be out there. Junior Guerra is probably going to be someone that you might need to wind up looking towards because he hasn't been used in quite a while. Aaron Slagers is someone that has not necessarily been too terrific, and then you take a look at the flip side for the Oakland A's. Bullpen has been letting them down a little bit as well, so Mergio Romo is not good. Now Lou Trevino has been able to come in. He's been able to give you some good innings. Birch Smith as well but he has made Petit. Wound up getting used up yesterday for 27 pitches and Jake Diekman for 30 so they're not going to be available. When you take a look at this lineup, is doing a great job of getting him AC and Tony Kemp both with north of 385 on base percentages. Matt Olson, double digit amount of home runs, 350 on base. Ramon Laureano, double digit amount of home runs, 265 batting average. That's been solid and whenever you've had Jed Lowry out there, he's been solid but out Sanders has not been able to find it. Stephen Piscotti Having a little bit of a tough year. Catcher spot in general has been intermiss for this bunch. So I do think that there's a little bit of value here with the Angels. I do think that perhaps bookmakers wound up over adjusting a little bit. I do recognize that Mike Trout is out of the fold, but with Otani going, I want to make in the Angels plus 117. So seeing the plus 120, plus 125 ish, I'm going to be taking that plus price. And with this total, I want to setting it at 8.6. So we're going to be taking the over to go along with the Angels. 975, 976 on the banking board. The Seattle Mariners are going to be playing on the Texas Rangers. Colby Allard is going to be going for the Rangers. Chris Flexen is going to be on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. Currently, only Circa has a number on this game as the Rangers were a little bit tough to decide on Allard right now. It is the Mariners minus 110 favorites. Even money on the Texas Rangers and your total is 8 and a half. Over juice of minus 120. The under is even. I can tell you right now, I want to make in the Mariners a minus 127 favorite and the total 9.2. So we're going to be targeting an over and the Seattle Mariners with having out there Chris Flex, and you do know that there's going to be probably a lot of contact. He's giving up more than 10 hits per 9 innings, but with Colby Allard as well, it's a little bit of a roll of the dice as to what you're going to be able to get out of him. He's someone that he has been a long guy. He's sort of been a pseudo-starter as well. He's got 18 career starts, 15 career relief appearances, and throughout his career, he's given up not necessarily a ton of our contact, right around one home run per 9 innings, but he gives out the walks, right around 4 walks per 9 innings. That's not necessarily so seller, not necessarily necessarily much of a swing and miss guy as well. Right in the neighborhood of 7.5 punch outs per 9 innings and it's just really hard to gauge him in general because in his last 4 appearances he has went between 1 and a 3rd innings and 1 and 2 thirds innings in all but one of them. Gotta think that the Rangers bullpen is going to be on call in this one and for the Rangers they've got a bottom 10 bullpen. Julie Rodriguez has not necessarily been terrific. Berette guys is it or miss? I will say. Brett Martin has been solid. Ian Kennedy, John King, these guys are able to give you a little bit of something but I have no faith in Taylor Hearn. Meanwhile for the Seattle Mariners, bullpen was very good to begin the year. They now have Volves currently on the injured list. Kendall Graveman is injured as well. Keenan Middleton has come back and Anthony Machevich has been starting to regress a little bit. Paul Seawald has actually been able to give you some good innings along with Eric Swanson, but then you take a look at the lineups of these two teams in general for the Seattle Mariners. Very top-heavy. Mitch Hanniger has been terrific. 262 batting average. He's got a double-digit amount of home runs, 33 RBI, but then you've got Jared Kellnick along with Donovan Walton, Jacob Nottingham, Tom Murphy along with Jose Goody list goes on and on of guys that are hitting below the Mendoza line of 200. Now, Kyle Lewis has been able to find it a little bit more recently. Now, as a right around a 345 on base. Kyle Seager is hitting a 230. It's been rough for him. J.P. Crawford has been able to give you a little bit of something. in Ty France, ever since his hot start to the year, he has regressed. And for the Texas Rangers, you've actually been able to get something out of Adonis Garcia. 16 home runs. I believe that that is out tied for the Major League lead. He has actually been tremendous for this team. Got a couple of other guys hitting between that 250 to a 265 pocket. Nate Lowe Nick Solak, Willie. Calhoun along with Jose Trevino. have been solid. Charlie Carver sending a 248 in his own right. Brock Holt, 373 on base. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of Isaiah Kinner as well. It looks like Joey Gallo might be injured, but he is someone that is only a 210 himself. He has been just up and down in general, but I do think that you're going to get a higher scoring game. I do think that Allard is going to give you a couple solid innings, but then the bullpen is going to wind up screwing this up. So I'm right now taking a look at the Mariners and the over in this spot. Now we go to the doubleheaders. First one is going to be the Blue Jays and the Yankees. He's one 977, 978, 979, 980. So we are going to be doing this all together because we don't have any numbers as I'm currently doing this on either of these double headers. But in game one of the double header, which is going to be 977, 978, it is going to be the debut of Alec Manoa, and he is going to be going up against. It looks like they wound up having a little bit of a switcheroo here as it looks like he's probably going to wind up going up against Jordan Montgomery. And then when you take a look at 979, 980, right now I'm showing Robbie Ray against one Domingo Herman, so... You've got that going on. Now, do note that these are a little bit subject to change because these games wound up getting postponed in the afternoon and they're right now throwing this all together and I need to have this up by midnight Pacific time. So, there is that going on. But in the Minoa versus Jordan Montgomery start, you got to think that the Yankees should be a relatively sizable favorite here. I'm going to be saying them... In that realm of about a minus 160-ish, and in Ray versus Herman, I'm going to be setting the Yankees more on a minus 150-ish favorites. In Ray versus Herman. anything that is a 7 or lower, I'm going to be taking a look at the over. 7.5 or higher, I'm going to be taking a look at the under, and I think the same is probably going to wind up being the situation for Manoa versus Montgomery. Now, this is a little bit subject to change because we don't necessarily have a lot of information with regards to either of these matchups. We've had a lot of flip-flopping with the pitchers, so as always, do take a look at the Twitter feed at JRS41 in case of any changes wind up occurring, but with the Blue Jays, I do like the way that this lineup is hitting. You've got to ask Hernandez, Vlad Jr. A pair of guys hitting above a 320 with at least a 375 on base and for Vlad Guerrero Jr. tied for the league league with 16 home runs. He has been terrific. Marcus Simeon, Bobachet. These guys at the top of the fold. Both are hitting at least a two seventy, a combined 20 home runs. Randall Gritchick has been able to hit a two seventy five for the team. Lords Scurriel after a rough start to the year, he's been able to find it. For the Yankees, very top-heavy team right now. They We've got Luke Voigt back, wanted up leading the league in home runs last season, but he has had a little bit of a rough start to his 2021 season ever since beginning on the injured list. He, Gary Sanchez, Rudin Adrodor, Clint Frazier, Kyle Yoka, Brett Gardner all hitting a 205 or lower for this bunch. Now you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Aaron Judge. North of a 400 on base, double digit bound home runs, Gleyber Torres, Gio Rochella, both hitting a 275. And then when you take a look at the Toronto Blue Jays, bullpen has actually been relatively rock solid for this team, but seems like we're seeing some signs of regression with this team. Romano has been relatively solid, but Ty Tice, not a guy that I necessarily trust in along with Anthony Castro. Travis Persian has actually come in, and he's been terrific for this team. Sub 2 ERA, Rafael Doliso, someone that you were really relying upon to begin the year. He has right around a 5-ish ERA. He's spent some time in the closer spot the last two years. Payampas has been able to give you a bit of something for the Yankees. Lights out bullpen. Aroldis Chapman is going to be available in at least one of these games. He has been just nails. I think he's given up one run all year long. Chad Green is able to do the job. Lucas Lutis has come out of nowhere. Sub-3 ERA. Wandi Peralta. Justin Wilson. These guys are able to give you a little bit of something. Wilson has been a little bit up and down. But still, I do like the Yankees in both of these games. I'm going to be making the Yankees right around minus 150-ish favorites both of these spots. Like I said, 7 is a magic number that I'm going to be looking at with both of these totals. Do note that these are a little bit subject to change check back in the morning. My Twitter feed at Jaren's41, but initial leans there. And then we go to 981, 982, 983, 984. This is going to be the Colorado Rockies against the New York Metropolitans double dip. We've got Antonio Sensatella versus Joey Lucchese for one game. And then we've got Marcus Troman against Undecided for the other. No lines up on either of these games, but for Sensatella versus Lucchese, which I think is going to be 981 982 but it is not official yet I want to make in the Rockies plus 134 which means the Mets with Casey minus 134 favorites set this total at 6.6 which means that 7 or I are going to be taking a look at the under six half or lower going to be taking a look at the over we're going to be taking a look at probably a sizable favorite here with Marcus Stroman with the Mets against Undecided you got to think that for the Colorado Rockies that might be a little bit of a bullpen game and you don't want a Rockies bullpen game you got to trust me they've got the worst bullpen ERA on the road so far this year Carlos Estevez has been able give you a little bit of something. Michael Givens has been able to do. Solid. Now they've got Chichi Gonzalez who's a little bit of a long guy, but not doubt if he winds up getting multiple innings, but Jordan Sheffield, Robert Stevenson, guys I really have no faith in whatsoever, and Yancey Almonte. 12.86 ERA! Meanwhile, you take a look at the mess of what you've been able to get out of Marcus Stroman. He has been very solid for the team so far this year. Despite the 3-4 and four record, 275 ERA giving up about a home run per 9 innings, but fewer than 2 walks per 9, so I do like what he's able to bring to the table there. When you take a look at Lucchese against Antonio Sensatella, Sensatella has actually been really bad on the road throughout his career. At home, he's actually a tad bit better. He's got a 501 ERA overall for the season, but 859 ERA on the road, and he's given up four and a half home runs per nine innings. That is not good, and opponents are hitting 378 off of him, so that is absolutely tremendous, and when you take a look at the New York Mets, this lineup is not tremendous, to say the least. Khalil Lee is right now out there in the outfield, Kishwarwin Fargas. Hopefully I'm saying that one correctly. He's right now getting some bad-bats for the team. Thomas Nito is hitting at 260. he He's been saw. Brandon Drury kicking the tires on his career. He's been able to give you a little bit of something, but Francisco Lindor has been a big, fat disappointment. Cameron Maben is 0-21 of 21 right now. That is absolutely terrible. Jose Peraza sitting at the Mendoza line. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a team that in road games, hitting below a 215 as a collective, and they are towards the bottom of the league with regards to all power numbers when they are on the road. Now, Brandon Rogers is sitting north of a .360 for the seam so that has been very good for the seam Charlie Blackman has actually been a little bit better home to road as well, so that is something that you take a look at, but Ryan McMahon, he's got 13 home runs so far this year, but I believe that 9 of them have come at home, so you take that with a little bit of a grain of salt as well for the Rockies as a matter of fact, 12 home runs in 21 games on the run, and they're hitting a 203 officially, so that is absolutely terrible, Remy Altapia, hitting a 267 on the road is a little bit of something, and you've got CJ Chromeback, back, but man, this is just certainly not necessarily a spot in which you want to be back in the Rockies, and with Joey Lucchese, actually looked very good in his last year, he should not have been pulled after four innings, he wound up having 8 strikeouts and 4 scoreless innings against the Miami Marlins. He then gets pulled and then everything winds up going downhill from there. But I will say 3 plus runs given up in 3 out of his last 4 starts all of which were 4 innings or fewer. So you have got a whole lot, of lot going on there. Like I said in the Senzatella versus Joey Lucchese start. Minus 137 on the Mets. 6.5 or lower are going to be taking a look at the over 7 or higher are going to be taking a look at the under. Going to be making the Mets a sizable favorite with Thurman on the mound but we have no idea who's going to be going for the Colorado Rockies. So still a little bit TBD there. And that'll wrap things up. For the base Ball betting podcast on this wonderful Thursday. A big thanks to our friend Dan Zaborski of Fangrass for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you'll be able to subscribe every your podcast. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and And if you have one or two ways we have finding questions, if you have them for this podcast, first one is my Twitter timeline at score1 Keep in mind the letter CM. They mean it doesn't matter. The other way is finding an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. Then from there, you're able to send your questions, comments, segment ideas, what have you. Always love you guys tuning in, coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season which means I'm coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.